Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited today to have Kelsey Chittick on the show. She's a comedian and she is author of Second Half, Surviving Loss and Finding Magic in the Missing. Yes. It's a book about her husband that had passed away, Nate Hobgood Chittick. He was an ex-NFL player and we will dive into her book in a bit. But first, I just want to say how happy I am to have you on the show. It's so good to be here. I feel like we started a friendship and then COVID hit two years and then nobody saw each other. Yeah, I yeah, I saw you at that baby shower. The first one? The first one. And then the next time I saw you was, was another baby shower. For the same person. Oh, you're right. <laughs> I never thought of that. One was in the woods. Yes. And one was in Austin. Can we talk about that first baby shower? Because we actually never have. I want to hear it from your perspective, because I know for a fact other people were thinking the same thing. But everyone was so nice. No one said anything. And Chelsea and I just kept looking at each other. Yeah. Like, so I had just what? met this group of girls. Like, I had just joined this kind of new crowd for me. Very kind, spiritual, connected to nature, wonderful people, very different from people I had known prior to Nate dying and kind of that whole experience. And so one of our friends, she was pregnant, and I said, I want to have a, I want to do something for you. And she said, I've already got a group of friends doing it. And I said, wonderful. She said, let's just get in touch with, you. Know, I'll put you in touch. So I've done a lot of baby showers. I come from the South. I went to school in North Carolina. We crush baby showers, but they're very uptight. They have like pimento cheese sandwiches. Um, Everybody has like a list of a to-do and everything's done very early and everyone's very stressed and it's very uptight and everyone wears like Lily Pulitzer. Okay. Okay. This was a little bit different. Yeah. This was weird. Starting with, <laughs> if, you're, if you're listening and this was your baby shower or this, it was your house, just know we're not meaning it to you exactly, but we are. Um, no, I'm just kidding. It no, was we love you. Different. Amazing. Okay. Amazing. Women, you got... Amazing. You're amazing. But this, but there was something There was a procedural issues. Yes. There was procedural issues. Yes. Starting with the fact that it was inside a forest, but none of us knew that. So in our minds, a bunch of us got there to help set up, and we thought that this was going to be like a, sh a baby shower inside, where you have like a buffet, and people sit around and talk, and you do a couple blessings. Nope. Nope. We I, built a bridge <laughs> by hand. My husband was like cutting down trees. I, don't, I just didn't. We, we we got there. There was no, no idea what was happening. There was cats everywhere. There were we had to we had to walk like half a mile to get to this open field that had nothing in it. And we I think we built the table from the ground up, and then we used all of nature, which is beautiful. But I never had this experience where we had to pull flowers and leaves, and then we dressed the table, and that's all well and good. I just wasn't prepared because I was in like six inch heels. Yeah. Okay. Intentions are always good, right? <laughs> and you're you're completely right about procedural because for me, I in life I go for ease. Right. I mean, we're all really busy. We're all entrepreneurs. Right. We all have our own companies. And this baby shower seemed like, how can we make this as difficult as possible? How can we actually do everything that causes us pain, suffering, <laughs> exhaustion, and sweating? <laughs> it would just seem so difficult. I was like, what is going on? But it was beautiful. It and looked good. The, the photos the were photos, great. This is what you never thing. know. You would actually, you would never know. And that always reminds me to know, to remember that because the yeah. pictures were stunning. The background was stunning. The 
the baby mama is stunning. Yes. The whole experience was great. It was just, if you had seen the behind the scenes and the eye rolls that we were giving each other, because we didn't have that information going into it. We, there was a misinformation. <laughs> it, yeah. So, it was, but the thing is, that's when I really got to know you. And I was like, do I talk shit now? I don't know her that well. I said, thank you. Or do I wait? And I was like, what the F is going on? She was like, I'm with you. And I was like, okay, we're friends. Well, because I didn't want to feel like asshole. I know for a fact everyone else thought that. The thing is, I've worked in events for over 15 years. And I know that as soon as it becomes a thing with yes. the formalities, it's not fun for anybody. Exactly. And you weren't there because you had left already. Good, the, smart the, move the, for me. <laughs> The baby mama, after everyone left and it was more chill and it was just like her besties right. around, she's like, okay, now we can relax and have a good time. Yes. That's the truth. Right. That's the feeling that you want. As soon as, and it's always good intentions, but when you try to make it a thing and it feels forced, it always yeah. turns out like no. that. It, it it was an interesting experience. I laughed about it for a really long time. I and have PTSD. I, I seriously, I, don't, I was like, I do not want to plan another baby shower. I think I can with you. Because our yeah, the way we approach very minimal ease, just like is there food, music, it, tables done, and cool. like in and out an hour and a half. And it's all ready when people arrive. Yes, and I think some people they feel like things have to be stressful or a thing to be significant. I think that's part of it. It's actually a very good yeah. Like if it's not hard, is it worth doing? Exactly. Is it does it mean something? Exactly. Did you try hard enough? Yes. I think as we Fun. get older, ease and joy are the light posts that we're all walking towards because it's day-to-day -day life in your 30s and 40s is hard enough that you really don't need I think in your 20s you like try to do stuff because you don't have anything else to do you're just like oh I'm going to make a huge weekend with like a theme now you're like I just want everyone to be quiet and just sit down that's, it. that's that could that be our weekend could we just shut the fuck up and sit down like is that that's our wild weekend please like and can we get coffee and can we all go to the bathroom can we everybody somehow make sure they use the bathroom like does it get any better than that at this point in life so i think that's where we are and i think i talk about that a lot in the book is we create a lot of drama for ourselves and that we don't need yeah and you don't know that until you get to a point where you have too much drama in your life and everything falls apart and you go oh i have to change everything and so i think that's why we both like things to be calmer yeah. Because there's so much not calm. Yes. Why why make yourself get into a tizzy over a baby shower? No, that's what I feel. Yeah. And it's same when it goes to personal relationships too, like husband, your partner, your core friend mm -hmm. group. Because life is so there's just so much going on. I'm like, I don't need my core friends and my partner to be the source of that. No. <laughs> I need and that, it's funny too, with friends, I think you get to a point and I think all of us you have huge groups in twenty in your twenties, and then even in for those of us that had kids that became friends with other parents because we needed that group. You have huge groups, and then as you get older, it just gets smaller yeah. and smaller and more intimate and more comfortable. And I mean, I say the worst thing, and I know this is like totally anti what people say to say, but I'm like, team set, tryouts are over. Like you have your people that you really count on at this point. Yeah, and many of them have been with you for a long time. But yeah. it's not that I don't like to make new friends. I love to, but um, they have to bring peace yes, or fun, peace or fun. Yeah. I absolutely. need more fun friends. I guess I'm not fun, but yeah. I, you are fun. Nope. I laugh. Funny, not oh. fun. There's a big difference. Okay. Big, I'm not fun, but I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm working on it. Working How on do you become more fun and playful? What are yeah. some things that you do? Drugs. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I don't do drugs. Uh, for me, meditation helps because I know this is 
counterintuitive, but when I can get quiet and get all the anxiety to kind of go away, then I'm more open to saying, I can let go here. This, this isn't, this doesn't need to be scary. Like I went to Costa Rica and I would have never ziplined four years ago, just like too dangerous. I would have been like, let me check the ropes. And that tree looks like the branch is going to, just so much. No. And I think what's happened is as I've gone through something really hard, I now can tell what there, what really is to be afraid of and what isn't. And making up that you're, you know, that everything's dangerous or everything's too much or everything's, you know, inappropriate that I would normally not do. Now I'm like, go for it. Like, you've already made it through things. Yeah. Chances of the chances of this happening are rare. Or like I tell people, like, you know, everyone says 99% of the worst things that happen to you never happen, that you're worried about happening never happen. And I'm like, well, all of mine did. Mm. And I'm still here. Yeah. And I'm doing fine. Okay. I can see how that could be a confidence booster, right? Well, it's freedom. Yeah. It's freedom that you go, wow, I actually like everything that I've, and there's been a couple other things over the past couple of years that, that were just, you know, the one things you don't want to happen. And they happened. And I am more joyful now mm-hmm. than I've ever been. Because when the bottom's low, the high is so high. This is true. Okay. So can we dive into your sure. book a little bit? Actually, first, I didn't know you're from Winter Park. Yes. It's so cute there. How do you know Winter Park? I what someone told me I was in Orlando and I, and Sorry I about that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I actually, no, I actually like Orlando. And someone they recommended like you should go to Winter Park. There's a ton of cute boutiques and restaurants. Park Avenue. Yes, Rollins the cobbles. Yes, it's beautiful. Yeah. See, I told you I had a perfect life, and then shit hit the fan. <laughs> no, Winter Park is an amazing place. Too. It's it's like Santa Barbara. It, it feels like Santa Barbara. It's beautiful. Yeah. If you, if anyone out there is listening, if you go to Orlando. Make sure, and you're not at the theme parks. By the way, I love, I actually do like the theme parks. I actually grew up, I mean, I remember when we were kids, you could buy an annual pass for like $50, which was probably a lot back then. Like, I don't know what that would work. But we used to drive there just for dinner. It was just really fun. And it wasn't as crazy as it is now. But I do love a good park. Oh, you do. For some reason, I thought you wouldn't like theme parks. I mean, I'll be honest. Like, I don't want to go with my kids and like, but I would go like on my own. (laughs) Like, I I liked it when I was a kid. I, I don't say I love it now. They're too crowded. It's too much. I mean, for me, it's just, and then, and it costs like nine hundred dollars. Yeah, and you're like, have fucking fun. We just have fun. And they're just the kids are like, but we're tired. I'm like, you're not tired. You're a loser. We're staying until the end of the fireworks. And the kids are like, you see the kids just like in the strollers, just falling apart. And the parents are like, this is our whole every every penny we ever had. So I don't know. I don't. That's why I think the annual passes are good. But anyway, back to Winter Park. Okay. So, anyways, it's super cute. So I I learned you're from Winter Park. Yes. That's so awesome. And you met your husband in college yep oh my gosh so you guys you were together for a long time over 20 years yes so I I love talking to people who have been married a long time Mm -hmm. because I I've been with Pete for almost six years we've been married for three but I feel like you know what's up yes like we talked about the realities of like sex when you're married like so sad <laughs> like I used to talk to my marriage friends, and it—that's what it, I'm like. Is that really you judge them when it's not you? You're I'm, like, I'm not like, gonna be me, right? You're like, really? Yeah, like, you know, like you don't like to give blowjobs anymore. And oh god, right? the thought of blowing someone you're married to is so <laughs> repulsive. <laughs> the, it's so just—it's like it, 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 it's too much. <laughs> it's inappropriate. No, no, something happens because a lot of us like I used to love doing it. And a lot of my female friends, like when we were course, single and dating, the first three weeks, and then all of a sudden, 
it just doesn't become appealing. Oh, because all of a sudden you realize what you're doing. Like, and you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> What's the point? Well, it just seems so, so <laughs> dirty and so inappropriate and so uncalled for when you're married. You're like, you want me to do what? <laughs> With that? Never. I mean, ne I'm always like, find someone. Don't you have a friend <laughs> or a masseuse that could take care of this? Like, I don't got other things. But it's funny when you're dating and I'm dating now. Boy, is it wonderful. It's right? like your brain totally doesn't care. It, you think that's you think it's brilliant, wonderful. I don't. I wonder. Maybe I'll make an experiment to see when it switches. Is it like one day that you're like, nope, or is it a gradual burn that all of a sudden you're like, we've watched too many Netflix together for me to do that anymore. I would be interested to know because Pete is my longest Bless so him. far. So. And there's no more blowjobs. I. It has to be You're like to be hammered. a special occasion, yeah. and also. With like the sex positions, yes. you know, you tend to just do the same position, one hundred percent, and it takes a lot of effort to do something special. to move to get back on top. Is like why now? <laughs> why I, I remember, I don't know what type of podcast this is, but we're gonna go ahead and go for it. But um, I remember I used to always be like Nate, you can go ahead and finish, and he's like, no, 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 and I'm like, no, please. He's like, I just got here. I'm like, that's the point. Like, if we could keep this under three minutes, like I would be much more open to doing it more than once a month. <laughs> You know, but right now, <laughs> this is all I can give you. Oh, it's, a, it's I think worst. more people need to talk about this because a lot of people think something's wrong if like, oh, my gosh, we're not doing it. Like they say the average is twice a week if we're not doing First it all, twice a week. First of all, everyone freaking lies. Nobody is doing it. And if they are, it's either because they've scheduled it and they just do it. And it's not really good sex. It's just like a connection, that, which that, is fine. But no. that's married sex. It's like. We haven't been naked. Like, I haven't seen you naked. And it's so awkward to start when you're married. You're like, how are we going to start? You're like, it's Tuesday at 11. Like, what are we going to do? And they're like, well, we have to do it. It's like power washing the driveway. You're like, we've got to do it today. Or the driveway is just going to go to shit. You know? And you're like, all right. And you like, get naked. And then afterwards, you're like, it wasn't bad. It was a rough start. But it was okay once we were in it. Yes. No, it's true. A lot of the <laughs> – one of my girlfriends said – you know, because she, the other night, she did have, like, really connected, mind-blowing sex with her husband. They must have, like, fought or something, and, you know, everything's good. Drugs. But she, yeah, she's like, yeah. I would rather have sex like that 100%. once a month or once every three months than regularly have it, and it's just, just like, to lay whatever, there, like sex. Yeah, I agree. And we talk about that, though. So, like, this is such a great book. This is such a great topic that has nothing to do with grief, and I've never been happier. Um, it's interesting because... Losing your spouse when you're 40. So I'd been with him for 21 years. And I remember this is not even this is not in the books. This is a what do you call it when it's an extra chapter. Um, but I remember right afterwards being like, I've got to get over the hump, literally, because I had only slept with one person before mm -hmm. my husband. I met him when I was 19. And I grew up. I thought all my friends, they were all Christian. And they said they were not having sex till they were married. I wasn't Christian. I grew up very spiritual, but I didn't want to be different. Then I got back from college and all those bitches were like, we've been having sex since ninth grade. And I was like, you horse. Like, I only have one. I've got one in the belt. And you are all, you girls, all these sorority girls up with so many people. So when Nate died, I was like, what am I going to do? I don't even know what to do. You know, I don't know. And so this, I can't, I can't tell the story, but because there's too many names that would be recognized by people that I don't. But I I made a decision that, like, I'm going to have sex. Like, I've got to get out there. I've got to rip the Band-Aid off. And I wish I could tell the whole story. But it's just um, I found someone who was just like a general contractor that was going to work on my house. Don't, you did that. that. It's so bad. You did that. But let me tell you something. There's something about a man with a tool belt that smells like your car. And you're just like, okay. <laughs> 
Um, but I remember thinking like, I, I didn't know how to, when you've been in a relationship so long, you don't know how to be free anymore. Yeah. You don't know how to, there's so many things you don't know how to do anymore because you've been in a marriage, which is very secure and loving and friendship and like everything you want. But the one thing it isn't is you're not nervous. Mm. You're not excited. You're not worried. You yeah. want to look good, but mostly for you. You're not like, I hope he likes me tonight in this dress. Right. You're actually like, don't touch me. <laughs> don't get any ideas because of this dress. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, okay. I, I need to shift gears because I'm so sorry. Problem. I'm still in giggly mode and I... We don't uh, when I, shift gears. Okay. Well, when I, when I read your book, I cried. Yes. I, I cried yes. a lot. And it's one of my biggest fears I've actually never lost anyone close to me yeah. before yeah so I don't know what it's like but it is one of my biggest fears and I had known that your husband had passed but I didn't know the details mm -hmm. of it and in the book you you tell the story of what happened right. and all that and your kids and all that and I was crying my husband's like are you okay know. <laughs> oh my gosh you don't have to go into detail but uh, your husband died of a heart attack. Yes. It was it was sudden. Yes. So my husband, um, we met in college at University of North Carolina. I swam. He was a football player. And he went on to play six years in the NFL. He won a Super Bowl. And we had a great life. Um, we had two kids. They, at the time that he died, they were nine and 12. And um, he, from all accounts, was healthy, except there's other parts to it that he was from football, some other stuff with his brain, but we had a really good life. And um, he was a big guy; he was six five, like two eighty most of his life. And um, basically, for a couple years before, I knew something was off, like intuition wise. I could feel like something wasn't right with us. But I and I had a ton of anxiety around it, and um, it was around travel. And I just struggled leaving the kids and leaving my husband. And I just kept feeling like something bad was going to happen. But I talked to other moms and they're like, well, that everybody feels that way when they travel. But I had a huge foreboding. It was like really big. Like I couldn't shake it. Like when you know something's coming and you need to prepare for it. Long story short, um, we, we read a book called The Code of the Extraordinary Mind by Vishen Lakiani, And it kind of changed the way we looked at everything. And we ended up passing this book around our group and then one of the guys reached out to, Tony reached out to Vision, and we ended up getting an opportunity for one of my best friends and myself to go to A-Fest in Jamaica. And I didn't want to go because I didn't want to leave the kids. And it was like Jamaica, and I was like, there's murders there. Like, I'm not going there. Like, bad things happen. And my husband was like, you have to go. Like, you're, you're so afraid. Like, you've been so scared for so long. Like, it's time for you to go and, like, live life and stop being so uptight. Like, he was the happiest, most, like, fun outgoing, joyful human being you would ever meet. Like he would be the opposite of an anxious person. Just just happy, loved everybody, opposite of me. Never talk shit about anybody. I can't say a nice thing about anyone. No, <laughs> That's why you're good. Yeah. You're a good fit. And um, so he just said, you know, you need, you need to go. And so I went. I went to Jamaica on this kind of spiritual retreat, this weekend retreat. And I don't, we don't need to get into all this, but uh, I had an amazing weekend. And we had... All these speakers that were just incredible, Wim Hof, Marissa Peer, um, Stephen Cutler, like just amazing, Jim Quick, amazing people. And I remember feeling like, oh, I'm okay. Like there's, the, I'm okay. But I also was like, God, all these people have been through really hard things. And I had been through nothing. I grew up 
just a very good life. I mean, I don't know how to say it. It was good. And the last day we were going to go on to a boat ride. Um, and I went to get my phone, which I hadn't had the whole time, which was unlike me. And I saw some numbers come through and I was like, I'm not going to pick up. And then my, my husband's best friend called and said, um, call us ASAP. So I called my, I called back and my husband's best friend is actually married to my childhood best friend. It's very complicated, but it really worked out well. And then this cause this, the death thing has really caused a snafu, but, um, we, she called and she said, Hey, Nate took the kids to Sky Zone Trampoline Park. And let me just sidebar that, like, I'm a comedian. Most of, most of my time prior to this, I was doing stand-up. And the fact that my husband took the kids to Sky Zone, which is the most disgusting, like, trampoline park in a – it's just, like, it's just, it's just nasty. It's little kids, chicken fingers, and, like, people bouncing on trampolines together. It just – nobody would go there unless they had to. Yeah, and the, the fact that my husband <laughs> – decided on a Saturday morning that he was just going to get up with his two children and drive to Torrance and jump on a public trampoline park is mind-blowing to me. But I do feel like it's kind of his last joke to me. So long story short, my girlfriend called and said he had a seizure or they don't know what, but he fell at the at the trampoline park. But it's fine. Go have fun. Smoke some weed. Enjoy your trip. And my whole body was like, he's gone. He's gone. And my friends were like, this is what you do. We're so tired of it. And I was like, pack my bags, get me ready. And we were trying to get, I wanted to get home. Even if he was just sick, I didn't know. I wanted to get home to my kids. And we got into a cab. We packed up all my stuff. And then as we were driving from the hotel in Jamaica to the airport, um, the doctor called and he just said, I'm so sorry. Your, um, your husband didn't make it. Uh, he died of a massive heart attack. We tried everything and he's dead. And so it gets me every time. <laughs> that, one, that one gets me to stop laughing. Um, so that was kind of a huge turning point. <laughs> it was the turning point. And it turned out that he, um, looking back, he had just gone with the kids and checked in. And they jumped for about five minutes. And he was wearing the orange sticky socks, which I find is just the most ridiculous thing to die in. But he would have loved it. He would have, it would have been a nod to me. Um, he told the kids, he was like, I love you guys so much. And my daughter said, like, hey, daddy, watch me. And he's like, you're so amazing. And then he said, guys, I need to sit down. And then he just dropped in front of them. And he died. And they didn't know um, at the time, but because they moved the kids out, but they did defibrillator. They tried the paramedics came. Everybody tried. And he just, he didn't, he didn't make it. So he was 42. And my kids were 9 and 12. And that's kind of when everything changed. And the irony of it being when I was at that retreat and that I wasn't there. I know I wasn't there for a reason. Oh, he also died on 11-11 at 11. And we were a very spiritual couple. And we believed in a lot of everything. And that's like a spiritual portal. Like 11-11s when supposedly angels come and go. And so that gives me great peace. Um, but yeah, that was... I remember when I got, the, I remember being like, oh shit, this is the call that people get. This is, this is what you see on like CSI or like in the movies. This is like, oh, this happens because nothing had happened like that to me. And I just remember thinking, this is the moment. This is the moment that we all are afraid of. This is what, this is your, your worst nightmare. The person you love that you are going to spend your life with or your child is gone. And um, the book is about 
kind of that's the middle of the book. So the first part is us falling in love in our life. And then the middle of the book is um, Nate dying. And then the rest of the book is how the hell we climbed out of it. Out of it is the wrong we how we learn to swim in it, maybe. Um, so that's that. Yeah. And with grief, how did you react initially? Because I know t- people have different ways oh, to process yeah. grief. Like, did you freak out right away when you when the doctor told you that? Um, you know, it's funny because and we can talk about plant medicine at a different point, but I, I didn't remember a lot of that day for a long, long time. Um, I know when I got the call, it's surreal. Like, it's like I remember saying to Toby and Michelle, he's dead like that. Like, he's dead. Like, what the fuck? Almost like you'd say, like, that fucking guy just cut me off. Like, what the fuck? Like, that's how I was. I was like, he's dead. He's dead. Like, I was, I, I can't explain how it was. And then when I got to the airport and I was trying to get on the plane to my kids, then I went, what, what I would feel would be like a mental breakdown. Like, I would assume, it's just like, I remember seeing people like, you know, you'll watch a war and you'll see a woman being dragged off whose husband's been killed. And she's just hysterical. That's that was me. But it felt like I was floating above me, watching me be hysterical. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does. It just feels surreal. Like you can't believe it's happening. Um, But you know, it's happening. But there's no and it goes back to our brains. There's just no neural pathways that understands a world without them in it. And there's no your brain has never even acclimated to the idea that they're not in the world and a part of your life. So it feels like a, a like a wiring issue in your brain that you can't, you can't, can't make sense of it. Um, it's a horrible feeling. Oh, man. And I imagine, I mean, it's one thing to process it within yourself. You have two kids. That's the worst part. Um, I think, I think when your kids are in pain, and there's something you can't fix, especially for our culture that loves to fix kids, and loves to make them happy all the time and loves to keep them from any pain. And, you know, obviously, we've done thousands of books and podcasts about just this um, helicopter parenting and this saving kids from any anything that hurts. You know, it's, it's a huge disservice. And you see, you see that. You see why it is because I can see my kids now. And what happens when kids are allowed to go through hard things that you couldn't change and you can't stop and you can't fix and you can't make it better is one of the most beautiful and painful things you will ever do. But my kids are different now. They're they're cooler. They're more empathetic. They're wiser. They have had to think deeply about what they feel spiritually about death and what does that mean to them. And they've had to think about religion and what what religion speaks to them when it comes to understanding this. We all have different, all three of us believe totally differently in my home. And they're always like, oh God, not your idea again, mom. I'm like, sorry, it works for me. But we talk a lot about um, just how different people grieve and um, Watching the kids still gives me shivers. Like some nights, so we're almost four years out. Some nights I go in bed and I can, I can cry thinking about it right now. Like I'm just like, oh, thank you, God. It's not like that anymore. Like thank you, God, that we aren't in that tragic first year where it just feels like the pain is too big, you know? And so when you're on the other side of that pain, it feels like you're high on life because you're like, we did it. My kids did it and we're, we're okay and we're, we're thriving and, and Nate still lives alive in our home and he's talked about hourly and um, by me. My kids are like, are you ever going to let this story go? I'm like, nope, riding it out, guys. <laughs> but it's amazing too how kids move forward and they, they want to move on. 
and they want to they want to be okay and they don't want it to be their story it's a part of their story but they're really they've taught me so much about like just everything everything yeah. um but i wouldn't i say this in the book like i wouldn't change it for anything cuz i love my life and i love my kids and my husband but i would not wish i would not wish that having your dad die in front of your kids is just not it's not what you want not ideal mm. not ideal you said that in the beginning you did try to want to fix or help your kids mm -hmm. and eventually you realize i need to just give them space yeah, it took to a long time. This. Yeah. Was there a moment where that shifted or was that gradually over time? Um, it was gradually over time. I mean, I think even if you read in the, some of the first chapters, how I spoke to them was very much like positive. And I wouldn't change that. I was like, your dad was amazing. You know, he was the best father and he wouldn't have left us. I had a lot of directives towards them on how I wanted them to believe this experience. And I wouldn't change that because I do think as a parent, you do give the narrative as they get older, they can choose the narrative, but I was definitely going to control the narrative in that moment. I wasn't going to be like, we're screwed. I miss it. Like, so I was really clear on that. As we moved through our grief, I realized that what I was doing every time they said they were sad and I was telling them, don't forget you had the best dad. I was just, I wasn't validating any part of who they were or what their process was because I so badly just wanted to make sure they were okay and make it better. And eventually, as they got older, because they were 9 and 12 when he died, but when they got to be, you know, 11 and 13, they were like, Mom, it's not okay that he died. Mm. It's not okay. It's not okay that we saw our father die. It's not okay that we got locked in a stinky, you know, birthday party room at Sky Zone. It's not okay that we didn't get to say goodbye to him. It's not okay that he was purple when we looked at him and he was seizing and he had foam out of his mouth. None of that's okay. Like, you can't keep telling us it's okay. And I think the first year for me, I was in go mode to just survive financially, emotionally, spiritually. Second year, you're just shot. You're just broken. You're tired. People care, but people have gone on. You are now in a fight for your life and your joy. And that's when I realized, oh, I can't make this better. Like it sucks. We don't have, I don't have my husband. I don't have a dad for my kids. I don't know what we're going to do with our life. And so that's when I started to lean on Buddhist books even more than I had and really lean on some practices and some actual tools. And that's when I started to let them be because I realized that's actually what meditation is about. That's what surrender is about. That's what um, accepting what is is about. And when you stop pushing against something, it gives. So whenever you're up against something, you actually have something to fight. But when you kind of drop back and say, it is what it is, the power goes away. And so the kids have, are the ones who taught me that because when I finally got it, that they just wanted me to be quiet, um, our life changed. Do they ever come to you and ask for specific things that they need? No. No? <laughs> I wish I could tell you. No, they're 13 and 16. Okay. And they... They they come to me like normal 13 to 16-year-olds, like for food and money. Every now and then, I will get a small sliver of, like my son goes to Loyola, and um, this is, a, you know, he was out all last year because of COVID, and they're here. And last night, we're just talking, and, you know, I'm just trying to be quiet because I'm a talker, but I try to be quiet with him. And he just, out of the blue, said, I wonder what my life would be like if I had my dad. And, of course, tears shoot to my eyes, and I want to be like, well, it wouldn't be that And I just sat there, and he just... We just sat there 
And he looked at me and he said, good job. Good job. That's amazing. And I was like, thank you. And he's like, yeah. And then he just kind of talked about what he thought it might be like if he had a dad. And what he got to at the end, and I didn't say a word, which is so hard for me, he said, I really miss dad. And I bet I'd be an amazing man if he was here right now. But I see some other dads and how hard they are on their sons. And I think, wow, what freedom I have that no one is coaching me, berating me, encouraging. You know, it's hard. The father-son is hard, just like the mother-daughter's hard. And what I've learned is when I listen to them, they, they come full circle on their own. Really, all we have to do for people is just be there with them. I mean, that's, and I'm not good at that, but I'm definitely working on it. That's inspiring because that's something I've had to learn as well. I think I learned it from my mom, which it's a gift as well. Solutions, like, cool, I, I love solutions, but sometimes people just need space. Yeah. So we ask now in our family, do you want support or do you want solutions? And that's really helped give words to it. So like when they come home from school, I can't believe this. This teacher was so awful. And I don't like that girl. And I'm like, do you want support or solutions? Like, just support. I say that, oh, my God, I can hear that that teacher sounds really hard. And that girl sounds really mean. And they're like, yeah, thanks. And then sometimes they're like, we're in a problem. We need a solution. So that's kind of given us language that helps us navigate where they need help. Or they'll be like, I need help, mom. I need a therapist. And I'm like, she's on speed dial. Don't you worry. Got her. (laughs) She'll be on 30 minutes. So it's yeah, it's gotten much better. It's gotten lighter. It's really, really heavy. Death is death and grief feels like you are under a boulder of hell. Are you guys still in therapy? No. I might well, everybody does different stuff. My daughter is now in fully because she's 13. So I don't think you can really tap in. There, when she was too little, like I'd have her go and she'd just they'd be like drawing a stick figure of her dad dying. And I was like, this isn't worth 150 bucks. Like yeah. I can draw with her at home. Like we need, and we waited till she had words because therapy is really, for her, it was about talking about it. And for a long time, she didn't even understand what had happened. She's like, where did dad go? You know, there was a lot of like, wait, what happened that day? And she was nine. Um, And I wasn't there. So there was trauma on the fact that they were alone too. So now she talks about it. Jack is as practical as a human being could become. And he's like, my father died. I did counseling for a year. He's a one on the Enneagram. He's like, I handled everything exactly as I should. And now I'm going to go get a good education and go to college and be a man. Like, he's like, I've already talked about it. And he's the type of kid that if he wanted to talk about it again, he would come and talk to me That's and say, great. like, I need a counselor. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. And I do all sorts of weird stuff. You know, I'm like floating in tanks. I'm doing infrared sauna. I do. I'm. I do yoga three times a week and I meditate an hour a day. Those are like, that's my counseling now. So besides meditation, what Mm -hmm. else have you done that you feel have been the most effective in your healing? Um, I stopped drinking pretty much pretty soon after he died because I found that every time I'd have like a tequila soda, it would just the depression, like alcohol is a depressant. So it wasn't safe for me to drink the first couple of years because it would just trigger all the pain. Now I drink red wine, which is some that's works for me. I think you have to trust your body knows like what it needs. Um, I've changed that. I, I eat really clean and I eat, um, I like, there's just things that can cause me to be anxious. So I'm pretty rigid. I, somebody was talking about the book and they're like, so you just kind of fly by the seat of your pants. I was like, nope, (laughs) opposite. I'm pretty rigid about my life. Now I wake up at a certain time. I meditate. I do yoga all before the kids get up. I eat very well and very little meals because I, when I get full, I can get anxious. I mean, I'm a mess. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm crazier than I look. No, but I just have, I have rituals now that I know 
bring me peace. I know I need time alone. I know I need time in nature. I spend a lot of time walking, like a lot, like a crazy person. Yoga is uh, yoga to me is probably one of the most important practices I have because it, it takes me about 20 minutes to get out of my head. But then when I do, I'm off to the races and I feel like a new person. So that's kind of a non-negotiable. Um, my girlfriends are non-negotiable. You have a really good circle of friends, it looks like. I have an amazing group of friends from high school and from here. Yeah. I always encourage people to have a community. I think a, a lot of women tend to, I think, after they get married, you know, they don't nurture other parts of their life yeah. or kids too. Yeah. Right. I think it's, I think um, because Nate and I married so young, we always had friends and we always, we, we acted as if we were still in college. So he'd go out with his friends. I'd go out with mine. I think it's harder as you get older, the groups break up, there's drama between people, but like my girlfriends saved me. They're, they're my people. And some of them drive me insane, but we tell each other, you know, they're, cause we're all so different now. But yeah, I, I'm a huge advocate for friends. You don't need a ton. You need, I think every woman needs three. Yeah. You need three best, best friends that just like, that they're, they're there. Yeah. They're, they'll they, show up. They're like middle of the night. They're in anytime, anywhere, yes. 400 texts a day. It doesn't matter. You don't bug me. Like just go in for it. Yeah. yeah. So you had mentioned that you have started dating again. Boy, have I ever. I'm really getting up out there. Yeah. What are the, <laughs> well, because a lot, because of... my husband would want me to, I can hear him. He's like, get out there. That guy slept with like hundreds of people before me. So I was like, I've got, I can hear him just being like, what? Like make a move sister. And I'm like, I'm old. <laughs> okay. Because so, a lot of my listeners, mm -hmm. they're divorced and they're, you know, it's like, you know, it's like landing on Mars, like this new dating it landscape. There's is. apps now, like what's it's the disgusting. etiquette? There is no etiquette. It's disgusting. God, all you out there, I wish I could give you some advice, but I'm telling you, it's brutal out there. Well, um, you just have to start. I mean, you have to. You have to force yourself. But I hate when married start. people say like, just get out there. Because I'm like, if you had to get out there, you would die. Because it is so disgusting. After you've been with someone that you know, to have to swipe and then like have some awkward texting conversation. I mean, it feels like a little death inside of me each time I do it. I do believe the universe will bring you people that through your friends and through experiences. I do. I know the apps are recommended by married people. I do know that because every married person's like, let me just swipe, you know. <laughs> but when you have to swipe and you know you've got to go meet some like weirdo from Culver City at a coffee shop on a Tuesday, it takes everything in your soul to not just die a little bit. But I do try. Um, what I found is just like the best thing that works for me on those apps is to introduce myself as like, I'm just looking for some cool people to hang out with because I'm in a world of married people. Literally in my town in El Segundo, I'm, I think there's like three people that aren't married and all of us are widows. I actually met the guy I dated for quite a long time on Bumble. And so maybe God works through Bumble too. I don't know. Maybe the angels are on the apps. I, it's I, have, just, I have no idea. It's just another method of meeting people. It's That's so hard, but it is. You just try. And then I think if you have uh, like out of 20 weirdos and there are some weirdos. You have to sift through. Oh boy, there's a lot of sifting. Yeah. And then the worst is like when they show up and you're just like, you've got to be kidding me. It's, it's hard because they look nothing like anything that you thought. And everyone says they're six feet. Everyone's five, eight. Like I've decided you have to minus it, five inches. It's... <laughs> I have found if they're below six feet, that's they're when they five, lie. Six. But if they're above six feet, it's usually accurate. Six feet, six feet's like everyone's height, which is not possible. <laughs> that's what I've realized. Like everyone's not six feet in LA. I don't get 
understand why people would Be- lie because like, you won't because you won't because I won't swipe over somebody. I will not. Swipe but it's wasting under. your time because it's not. Yeah, accurate. maybe they think they're gonna like wow you with their their short personality. I don't know. No, but wouldn't you think like I don't want this person to be disappointed when they see me? I know too late because we were. I don't know what to tell them. We, that's the thing. Like if you, I mean, if you, I, I don't know. Like I don't know. It's awful. It's bad. I, I'm, a, I'm a bad. I'm a bad advocate of apps. Do you face? If you've never met the person, do you Facetime Hell with them before? No. Wouldn't that save time though? Oh God, it's so cringy. God, no. But because if that's a no, then you don't have to. Meet I'm up dating with them. this guy now that okay. I that he was introduced to me by friends, and he sent a text, and he said, "I would have loved to have called you like a gentleman." But it's a little late, and I didn't want to be like, um, I didn't want to be like a scream, Nell. What's the, like something from the movie Scream, where like I scared you, I called you too late at night. Okay, or that joke went badly, but you okay. know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but the fact that he was like, I'd like to call you, like we never texted. He's just like, let's talk tomorrow. It soothed my soul on every level, like a man's man that wants to speak to me on the phone, have a normal conversation. It was like, that's where I have to be. I can't do the, I, I can't do the app texting. And cause you don't, it's awkward. You don't know when to, when do we roll off onto like, you give me my cell phone. I don't know. What if you're a murderer? I'm always worried about murders. Mm. Murdering is the worst. That's, <laughs> you don't want to get murdered from an app. That's the first rule that people don't ever talk about. Don't let them kill you. Um, so, I mean, I do the apps. I'm 44. I have a 13 and a 16 year old. And I believe strongly in God and in the universe. And I swear, if he can make the world go round, he can find me the person and bring me there, not through my phone. I just really believe that. I believe that if I just hold what I want, there is a man out there that Nate, if he's a good man, and I've said a lot of nice things about him, he is working hard too to find me someone. So I trust that more than I trust the apps. Um, But I still, if I'm bored at night, I'll just swipe. Normally, I recommend, like if you feel pretty good the swiping's not bad but if you don't feel Oof. good oh, oh it's depressing and it's depressing when you're like nobody because um bumble is the worst because then you have to start but they have it, it's like the feminist one you know so you get to pick and i'm like i'd rather them pick me and then i decide if i like them or not it just i don't know it, the, the, I'm the, everyone's different you probably have like a really smart way of like encouraging your listeners to go on apps and i probably just ruined all of that i <laughs> so well, sorry no i mean the whole goal is just to feel good, whatever feels good to you. And if the app doesn't feel good to you, just bars don't be feel on it. better for me. Then that's you know what awesome. feels better for me is going somewhere where there's music and a glass of red wine and seeing a guy and being like having that moment where you're like, I think I like you. That feels better for me. I think getting out of your house is more important than swiping. That's a good point. Like I think if you're that at, is a good point. If you're at home on the apps waiting for someone to touch your soul. You might as well just get out and go. I mean, my brother gets laid all the time in Florida. He just goes and sits at a bar. And then some woman ends up talking to him. And next thing you know, that guy's going home with somebody. I've never seen anything like it. But I think what he does is he goes out. Yeah. You have to go out and be around people. You have to get dressed. You have to put on something cute. And you have to just force yourself out. And that's always more fun than forcing yourself to text somebody on an app. That's a really good point. There you go. Look at that Thank genius you. advice from, that I never go out there, but I'm starting to. I've been, I force myself. And then it, it, you, you gather momentum. Do you include your kids in, the, in your dating process? It's a great question. Um, I did with the first man I met after, about a year after Nate died. It was early, very, very early. But I, 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 first of all, he's an amazing man. He's still a best friend has ushered me through some of the hardest years of my life. We are not together anymore. We haven't been for about a year and a half. 
But um, I did introduce him to the kids. It was too early for them. It was really hard. It's hard for him. It's hard for them. It was hard for me. It took a toll on everything. Um, I needed someone to take care of me a little bit because everybody I knew loved Nate. So everybody around me was grieving, especially my children. So I didn't have anyone. And his parents were devastated. My parents were devastated for me. Everybody was broken. And so when he came along, he was he was there for me. And he kind of held my pain for you know, a year and a half. Um, but the integrating of the of him into my life was really challenging. Um, and I think it, it hurt a lot of people. It hurt, it, it hurt him. It hurt me. It hurt the kids. And I wouldn't change it because I needed him around. But I would say now I'm going to be much more discreet because the kids are older. They were little too. So I didn't have any help. So they'd know when I'd go. I mean, if I wanted to go out, I had to have my mom come over. Now they're gone. They have their own lives. So I can be out till two in the morning and I don't have to explain myself. So I have a lot more freedom. My son is like, please find someone. God, will anybody ever take you off my hands? You know, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, listen, buddy. And then my daughter's, my daughter's much more, ab- more able. She's much more open to just like, don't make me move. Her big thing is like, I'm not going to have some like stinky stepsister. And I was like, listen, lady, I'm not getting married. Like, you're not going to have any problem. You know, she's like worried if we're going to like parent trap her or something. <laughs> um, but it's much easier now. They both want me to be happy more than anything. All your kids want is for you to be happy. And that's when you have one dead parent, they already have a very unhappy parent that's dead because they're dead. They want you to they want you to carry the joy. They want your house to be normal. They literally just want it to be normal. So that's pretty much what I focus on every day. Okay. And so just say I mean you're dating someone now and just say it starts to get like three weeks, yeah, but I really like them. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> Good luck. Thank you so much. Here's to us. Okay. Um okay, so just say something becomes long term. Mm-hmm. At what point do you think you'd like to introduce them to the kids and how, like, how do you have these conversations with your kids? Just brutally, honestly. And then how do they, re- how do you think they would respond? Brutally, honestly. Um, no, you know, I, I feel, I feel like we're so much better at talking now because we've had such awfully hard conversations. I think for, I think at this point, what I always say is like, we're all on a path. Like you guys are graduating soon. Like I need a life. You need a life. We all need a life. We all need to respect each other and what this this nuclear family is. But we also need to be open that, like, dad died when I was 40. I'm not going to spend the rest of my life by myself. Um, you guys have big lives. I want to fall in love again. Everybody doesn't have to like each other or understand it. But we all need to respect that each one of us is fighting for joy in our own way. And for me, that would be finding a partner. Although the funny part is I'm really, for the first time since Nate's been gone, okay on my own. It's funny how that works, too. It always works that way. I enjoy my kids. I enjoy my life. I don't have to find somebody for the first time in my life. And I've been married my whole life. So I never was alone. I mean, I met Nate my sophomore year in college and I had a high school boyfriend. I like one year of my life. I'm a cancer too. I like, like I'm a relationship person. But yeah, I think I would tell them when it was serious enough that I wanted to do stuff with us as a group. That's probably when, like right, you know, in the beginning, you're kind of just like on your own. Um, But if I wanted to like go on vacation or do something with his kids and my kids, that's probably when. Got it. I'm sure it would be awkward. I'm sure it'll be. I see other families do it really well. I'm like, are their kids weird or my kids weird? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> I think communi- like you said, communication's key. Yeah. Because my parents, when they split, th- there was no communication. Yeah, and too. Yeah. And then all of a sudden there's just like, my mom's like, I'm going to date, you know, our friend Don, I'm going to date him. And one day he's just in the house. And oh. we're like, this is so <laughs> awkward. It was so awkward. I think Hi, it was. Don. 
(laughs) That's what it felt like. And so I wish, you know, it would have been less awkward if she just communicated better. But I know everyone's doing the best that they can. We all say that, but you're like, but you, I always tell my kids, but you could do better. (laughs) Just so you know, like, I love that saying, but it's not working for me. But yeah, I I remember the, because I was around your kid's age, you know, like 12, 13. I just remember, I'm like, this is so awkward. Can you please just talk? Like, I just wish they would have told. Just tell me. Yeah. The weird thing for my kids is like if a man touches me, they're like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, listen, you little hormonal weirdos. Like, we do it too. We do it too. And I'm doing it more than I did with your dad because you know what? He was a lot of man. That got tiring. The kids are like, I'm dying. Um, No, I think kids too are much more aware now because of social media and all the blah, blah, blah that we all know. They just get it. And there's so many people divorced and there's so many people remarried. Yes. I mean, marriage is so on the way out. It's not even funny. Like- I mean, I like that there's more normalcy in there's so there's so many ways to do it. There's so many ways. And it's not I I think everyone has to build it the way they want now because there's not we don't women don't have to be married. We don't need it financially. Yeah. Men don't need to be validated by like, well, obviously, because none of them can do anything around the house. So that that's gone. Oh my gosh. The the death of a man has definitely (laughs) happened. So you start to think, what are they good for? Yeah, in your book, you had mentioned when you're talking about putting together IKEA furniture. Oh, this is such a weird thing because in my mind, I always thought like, of course, the guy's going to be better at that than Nothing. me. But with us, I'm like, how am I more capable than you? In put- everything. Yes. In actually, let me check. So, in everything. So <laughs> I just realized because uh, I mean, for any of you women out there who have this expectation, you'll be disappointed because we are so capable now, and they, yeah, a lot of them just suck at like. Everything. Using tools. Yeah. <laughs> Did I keep saying that? You know what it is? I think our generation is the first generation of women that had tons of choices and tons of opportunities. We went to college. We got jobs. We make our own money. Our mothers and our grandmothers did not. So men still did a lot. We have now bulldozed the shit out of these men. Yeah. Because we were so driven. We're so much faster. Yeah. And now they're lost. And now they're going to have to have a, re- a reawakening. Yeah. Because they literally don't know what they're supposed to do anymore. And actually, we I, whenever I, I've been dating, we talk about this because- Women are so big now. We're so strong. Or I mean, I maybe I'm sure there's women that are more passive, but the group I hang out with, like, watch out. And and we'll tell you all the things we don't like about you as quickly as possible. You know, these poor men, they just take a beating. <laughs> but I don't I do think um changing your whole view around the relationships and marriage, it's and I write about this in the book too. Like when Nate died, I spent so much time annoyed with him when he was alive. Like every good woman should with their husband. You know, I felt like he didn't do enough. He didn't help enough. The th- same thing everyone talks about on like a wine night. But when he died, I wasn't mad about doing any of those things anymore because it was, I was mad that he wasn't, I wasn't mad about doing it. I wanted him to do it. But when he was dead, I, I couldn't, he couldn't do it. So I wasn't mad anymore. So I'm a lot less angry now because I have no expectation because he's in heaven, which is so hard to help with the trash. Because the tram, it's just such a long. Only you would make me laugh about something. I'm like, hey, can you get down here? It's Thursday. And he's like, I'm actually in heaven, like working on other things. And so I take the trash out. But I don't, um, I don't feel any anger. And I wish I could have been like that when I was with him. Because he used to always say like, I'm doing my best. And I'd always say, your best isn't good enough, which is so encouraging. But I did feel that way. I was like, why can't you keep up? And they can't. And so it's how do we find out in men what is what is their gift that we are missing while we're yelling at them all the time? Yeah. It's it's totally mindset. It's more so 
it's less about the other person. Of course, you you want to do your best to choose someone compatible, right. shared values, whatever. Like asterisk. <laughs> choose a nice guy. <laughs> whatever. Right. But it's more about your mindset because if I wanted to find every crappy thing that I wanted to about Pete, my husband, I could. Right. It's, it's miserable and it's miserable. so mean to them. So if I'm in a good place and you practice gratitude, yeah. I love like a gratitude journal and having that mindset. And I, when I watch people in happy marriages, I watch how the women show up with their men. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're happy. They're grateful. They see the good. Yes. That is what is required. And these men need that. Yeah. And they deserve it because they are good men, especially like if you marry a good man, their hearts are so good. They just they operate differently than us as we do them. Yes. And I think. We've tried to, you know, as we've fought for women's rights and for the ability to have the access to everything that they have, we've tried to equalize everything. But they're really, they're different creatures. Yeah. That's all it is. It's different. They're just different. Yeah. And we all deserve the same access and the same everything. But I think anybody expecting each of us to know what the other one wants is is insane. And I'll never do that again. Um, I'll never, I'll never mother a partner again. That I'll that's a tough a yeah that's a tough one that's something I've had to learn because it's so when you get into that space it's not sexy that's it's a sex <laughs> kill for sure when you're like did you, and you you know what you need to do at work is send that email and that's your problem and oh god and you're just like you hate yourself and you're like boy I must be annoying to listen to yeah because it's awful in my head right right yeah to learn to mm-hmm. zip it mm-hmm. and just let them do them but I mean sometimes it's necessary I will say there's a few times like like every day but. Less, 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 less every day. I'm learning to like, is this really important that it's done your way? Yeah, I do think, and I wrote in the book too, Nate and I did Imago therapy. I think counseling tools, this this would be my key takeaway about hard things in life, relationships. Like anybody that's doing well in life is not winging it. I promise you that. They are not just like cool people that are just figured it out. No, they're fucking working really hard every day to be the person that you see. So they're journaling, they're praying, they're meditating, they're sitting down with their spouse and listening and, and, and trying to change and they're taking responsibility for their stuff. But it's, it's a full-time job to not be an asshole at this point in life because we're all so overwhelmed and living in our own bubble. So I think it's important that people realize if you're in a relationship, like you, it deserves as much work as your kids deserve, as much as your job deserves. Like it should be a it should be a priority and not like date night priority. I'm talking digging in. Like, What do you want from me? What do you want for the next 10 years? Yeah. Where are we headed? Yeah. Why are we still together? Right. Do you like anybody else? If so, why? Yeah. What can I move to? What can you move to? Like, I remember we did this therapy and they said, you, you have to fall in love like six different times with the same person because you're just different. Yeah. You're so different after every experience in your life. So you can't just stay the same. And you just have to really respect the person you're with and be like, you know what? Like I always say in the book, there's nobody I would rather hate than Nate. You know, like I, 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 I wouldn't have wanted to be annoyed by anybody but him. Well, I think we're running out of time. God, that went quick. It does. I know you're we. I can talk to you for a really long time. Well, you'll have to come back next time. We can do the pajama thing. I talk too much. I <laughs> no, I like that you talk because sometimes. Have you ever interviewed a guest where it they no. don't talk much? No, because I talk the whole time when I'm with a guest. Oh. Too. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> what? I have a disease. <laughs> for me, it could be like pulling teeth when they don't talk oh, enough. Death. Okay, so your book okay. is available on Amazon. It's on, available on Amazon. That's where like all the reviews, so you can kind of see it. It's also available on Target. Com. It's on Barnes & Noble. August 30th was the launch. And you can go to www.secondhalfbook.com. 
And my Instagram is Kelsey, D as in dog, Chittick. And yeah, we're just kind of over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be launching the book and I'm doing a bunch of book tours and I'm going to a bunch of places and on podcasts. And my hope with this book is just like if there's anybody that needs it, they get it because I know for me, there was probably five or six books that changed my life during this process. Um, There's something about a book when you're in pain that is a gift because you can sit with it, you can process it and you know someone else made it. So that's my hope. Kelsey did promise too that if you go to her Instagram, she will actually post stuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna start posting. I have a I have an aversion to social media that I'm working working through in counseling, along with other things. But yes, I'm gonna start posting about it um, and getting it out there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You definitely because when you were doing a lot of stand up and stuff, I never even knew when your shows were. Like yeah. I wanted to come. I'm like, where is she performing? Yeah. I don't know. She doesn't talk Here, about it. A, this is a disorder that I have to look into. But I have so many others ahead of this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm I'm going to I I really care about this book. I care about my husband. He was amazing. His story deserves to be told if anybody's does and my kids story deserves to be told because they're pretty they're pretty amazing in what they've been through. So, I will do what I can to make sure people get it cuz I think it might help people. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for listening, everyone. If you've enjoyed the show, please give it five stars and write a review. It helps my rankings, and I really, really appreciate it. And if you're interested in my book to read or gift to a friend, it's called Show Up, Finding Love for Independent Women, and it's available on Amazon. Have a great day.